Okay, so here's our prayer. And I found um, Pacific Islander, uh, New Zealand prayer um, of form of the Lord's Prayer. So let's say this together. Eternal spirit, earth maker, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be. Father and mother of us all. Loving God, in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread, with the bread we need today, for today, feed us. us. In the hurts, In the hurts, hurts we absorb from one, from one another. Forgive us. Forgive us. In times of temptation and test, and test strengthen, strengthen us. From, from trial too great, too great to endure, to endure spare us. Spare us. From, from the, the grip of all that is evil, that is evil free, free us. us. For you reign, for you in, the reign in the glory of the power that is love, now, now and, forever. and forever. Amen. Amen. And that's taken again from, I have this book called She Who Prays. And let me hover over here. It won't move. Okay. There we go. Um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. And so there's a little piece of first John four verse eight. And Bell Hook says, culture of domination rely on the cultivation of fear as a way to ensure obedience. In our society, we make much about love and say little about fear. So remember last week, I said, we're going to spend time unpacking the definition of fear. Um, fear, when I look at these scriptures, fear rather than hate, fear is the, put, is the opposite of love. It's put in opposition of love. And I recall when I was um, doing uh, the workshop uh, for It's All About Love Conference, the Jesus Movement back in July. I remember when I asked people to define love, all the hands went up and everybody had great definitions of love. But when we came into a part in the workshop and I said, okay, let's talk about fear. How would you define fear? It got really quiet. And I wanted to see what people thought of fear. How would you define fear? This is an image uh, that I use often to talk about fear. So with that being said, um, this is from the movie, Get Out. Mm -hmm. This is that great yeah. scene yeah. where that brother's sitting in the chair and this is after the tea cup, the tea has been stirred, right? If you've seen the film. Mm -hmm. And I use this image and it kind of drums up fear for a lot of people, um, you know, that helps them, doesn't trigger fear in them. Well, this scene did for me and a lot of people, 
but it does help help us think about some definitions of fear. When we go back and look at this scene and what's at, actually happening to this person and why he is so overcome with fear. Um, how many of you have seen this movie? Yeah. yeah. And so you remember this part and you recall what's happening in this um, this scene. Here's a person, oh boy, <laughs> it's a scary film. Um, mm -hmm. But Jordan Peele unpacks a new, or I wanna say it's a new definition of fear but he brings a perspective on fear to the mainstream. When we thought about horror films in the past or psychological thrillers in the past, they've come pretty much from a, a one perspective um, or this kind of universal idea of what to be afraid of. And most of those were about a fear of being killed, right? Most of you look at Friday the 13th and, and those type of things. But this one is what I want to just hear from you all have seen it. What is this definition of fear? So, Ed. Well, I've only seen the previews because I generally don't watch films like this because I have a photographic memory and they stick around longer than I really want them to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think for me, what's um, what's powerful is the well it, the fear that you know because i work with a, a lot of black folks the fear that they have that the white person that they think they can trust is suddenly going to turn on them and backstab them as a gay man i can absolutely attest to that one with lots of heterosexual people i've known and i think that's a real fear that most people in the majority aren't even aware of much less think about mm -hmm. good good one yeah and and the images <laughs> this is why i just showed this one uh because there's some images in there um you know and how peel frames things it, they they can stay with you so this one is me looking at this character as he's observing uh any more uh on the definition of fear that you got from jordan peel's story what was fear in this context with this character? You're, well, you're taking on it. It figured out, you know, what was happening. And so it was like the worst case scenario coming to pass. Um, I don't know if that contributes anything. Well, well, I understand we're trying not to spoil that, <laughs> spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Um, and that's okay, like the worst case scenario. And and but I don't I don't know there's so many scenarios, right? Um if you're talking about a black black body and a black male body in a film, right? There's you know, we've seen a lot of those. There's the um police violence or the clan. We've seen that in Mississippi burning, but this one is a whole different thing, right? And it is the betrayal, as as Ed said, right? There's this total betrayal uh, that happens and when he finally betrayed, but there's a, there's this other thing that occurs in this and why are they um, snatching up people? Mm -hmm. 
you recall what what that was about Brenda Skip? Well, but without is anybody going to want to see the movie and not want to spoil know? it for Kate? No, no, you can spoil it. I always ask my children to tell me all the scary parts ahead of time so that I can be ready. <laughs> I mean, his his as I recall in the having I saw this a couple of years ago, uh, like many of you. But um, as I recall, at this particular point in time, it's become clear to him that um, the white people in the movie and at this home have snatched the bodies of the black people that have been there. So his fear is, I am no longer going to be who I am. Mm -hmm. I am going to become somebody else. And that is dangerous, threatening, and not by my choice. And so it was a, it seemed to me that it was a little bit of a, um, it was a, a little play on the fact that, um, if I may, yeah. uh, that our, that the culture of Black people oftentimes gets appropriated by mm -hmm. the majority, while the majority doesn't want to um, be respectful, pay homage, give credit to the minority. So that it's a, so you want to take my stuff, you want to be mm -hmm. like me, but you don't want to treat me like you're equal because I'm not as human as you are. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was sort of wrapped up for me, you know, watching this film as a black woman in America. Yeah, that is, it's very scary, right? This yes. like he loses agency and he can um, lose agency of over what what is you, right? To no longer be you, to have someone just take, it, yes. you know, it's the body snatchers, but, but with, the experience of black people, right? It's like mm -hmm. this, you feel like the body snatchers and I felt like some of the Stepford Wives thing and, and you know, this thing too, mm -hmm. but it's black bodies. And you know, the the scene, and I didn't even put it here because it's, it's I cry uh, when I see it, is when there's the African-American woman that's in the house who is, her body has been appropriated by the grandmother. And I remember he mm -hmm. asked her a question. You remember when she, she was, she was, you could see that she was two people at one mm. point where mm. she's smiling and mm. she's saying no, but she's crying because the black woman is still in there somewhere mm. and mm -hmm. she's crying. And that song, that scene always tears me up because I think he's captured what some black folk have experienced in the past mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, who are forced into working conditions or uh, not given any opportunities with with all the talent they may have to have to go through a back door to have to settle for you know if you're an actress in in the 1920s or 30s to have to settle for playing a maid when you're actually like true classically classic. trained <laughs> yeah and it's the same thing with mm -hmm. singers and all and so that's what mm -hmm. I think about is that, that realization like I'm really a human but but right now I'm being so dehumanized mm -hmm. yes. Thank you for and that. And also that that she was a part, she was she was watching it about to ha happen and knowing that she was playing a part in mm. this system. Um all you know, and with your on mm -hmm. on her own volition, but um but knowing that she was a part of it and here it was going to continue on in this young man. Mm. Yeah. Ed, you have your hand up. Thank you. Yes. Um, I, I'm 
I'm appreciative of hearing all of this, and I, I agree with all of it. Again, the thing that registers for me is um, certainly I have this fear every time I set foot out of my house. And I think any member, you know, any person who's a member of a despised minority, and I think if we want to know who that is, look at who they're passing laws against right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I and I, I genuinely believe that, you know, gay men are right in there with it. Uh, I, I can pass for about a week, you know, and then they're mm-hmm. going to figure out what's going on and then mm-hmm. it's all going to hit me. Um but I think we all live with this fear. We don't even have to set foot out of our house. This is an, an everyday uh, nightmares, consciously, whatever. And then there's that choice. And uh, tragically, uh, Clarence Thomas is a glaring example who literally sold out to the dark side <laughs> for whatever reasons so that he could not have to live with this all the time and um if people again um mainstream people have no idea what the rest of us are dealing with every day yeah the the brave you know i call it exercising the brave muscles daily for uh marginalized uh you know people are just kind of dispossessed right if you play on that word i used it earlier uh, earlier this week um but to to you have to do a lot of uh, mental processing before leaving our home or in going to, into certain spaces, uh, microaggressions and that such. And so I'm, I'm going to, uh, Ed, I think we talked about this on uh, a few Sundays ago and what you mentioned about um, Justice Thomas. And uh, there's um, a book that I'm also I'm always doing, I love doing book groups, okay, and study groups, and then thinking about what, you know, this part of my PhD work is is asking uh, the, the artifact, what are you saying about God? What are you telling us as God's beloved community, how to respond, and, and you know, looking at the baptismal covenant to respect the dignity of all people, right? Um, how to respond to the things that are happening and, and what the author is trying to tell us. There's a book called The Other Black Girl, and um, mm-hmm. you were talking about him selling out to the dark side, but that's quite an interesting book. And it's mm-hmm. like, it, they're going to make a movie out of that, a television uh-huh. a series uh-huh. out of it soon, directed by one of my favorite directors, Mariama uh, um, Diallo, uh, Diallo. And she does a lot of this type of stuff too, that Peel does. Um, that book is kind of the same thing. They have this hair cream that <laughs> the black women are putting in their hair that makes them complacent uh, Mm -hmm. when dealing with racism. And it also uh, causes them to throw other people of color under the bus. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting book that I happen upon, but it kind of deals with that too. I know, thankfully, you know, you can read the book and you don't have to have the film to have the images in your head, but it really talks Mm -hmm. about this distrust and having to exercise brave muscles and seeing that not everyone who may look like you may want to confront issues that help. So that's a short aside. Now we defined fear using this film, right? 
And we think about it in the context of the beloved community. Um, Jesus doesn't want us to fear. I have right up here on my wall. Do not worry. I have it by my desk. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I tell you not to worry. And he keeps saying, do not worry. I have to have it up there. For me, fear is when I give in to worry. When I do too much uh, in my processing before doing something, worrying about if I'm going to be terrible at it, if people are not going to like me, um, things that I just say, God, take over. You heard me on Sunday. I need to practice what I preach. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, you're a holy child of God. He That's right. you with mm -hmm. inner holy authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was preaching to mm -hmm. myself sometimes and repeating that because um, worry uh, for me, and, and sometimes it's, it's so unnecessary and it keeps you mm -hmm. up. In so that's a big one for me. Um, just worry about other people, friends, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, that what you, I think you captured that. I mean, what keeps you up at night? I mean, what wakes you up in the middle of the night? I mean, we have those experiences. Sometimes it's, it's something trivial, but it's, it's, it's that sense of, of, of fear. Um, you know, often it is about betrayal or trust or not trusting, yeah. you know, and that, that really does have to go in with the trust, I think. Mm -hmm. In, in yeah. addiction recovery, this is a big one. And because people keep thinking, I'll get to a place where it's perfect. And then there won't be all these uncertainties in my life. And mm -hmm. gradually they begin to realize that uncertainties are a part of life. And make peace with them rather than trying to control them. And that's, um, my mother used to say that the biggest problem with life is by the time you figure out how to live it, it's almost over. <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, <laughs> words of wisdom, right? You like, realize yeah. you finally got the worrying thing, you know, you know how yeah. not to do yeah. it, down yeah. pack, and then, yeah. uh-oh, Lord mm -hmm. calls you. <laughs> I, I have I love these these pictures here because it kind of touches what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You have a man who's got joy, you know, in this mm -hmm. early, you know, seasoned person in their life, and and then this this beautiful dark skinned sister here just mm -hmm. enjoying the sunlight and just enjoying life. And then you know, my favorite is books. <laughs> um, I had to put mm -hmm. it in there, but she says a love ethic presupposes that everyone has the right to be free, to live fully and well, mm -hmm. to bring a love ethic to every dimension of our lives. Our society would need to embrace change. Mm -hmm. And we've heard it, you know, change is hard. Change, change, change. And the thing is, you know, when we're doing uh, justice work and trying to make sure everyone can live well and has access to things, right? And mm -hmm. just access to a building, access to food and clothing and shelter. Change is hard, but especially hard for, you know, as I observe, people who have it very comfortable. And a lot of times there's that fear because mm -hmm. it's kind of a narrative, like, okay, if they get a space at the table, what, what happens to my space at the table? And I've heard mm -hmm. people kind of voice that. Mm -hmm. And and that's very yeah. interesting, um, you know, as now I'm one of two, I was the only <laughs> one uh, black woman in my PhD program. Yeah. 
And, and I could sense that people were voicing that as my body entered that space. And I spoke of the, the theology that I'm interested in, the theologies that I'm interested in. And one of, you know, it's womanist theology and queer theology and mental health theology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's all, it, it's, that's what, what I'm about and, you know, healing and trauma. And, um, I could sense that other people were what's going to happen to my space if we mm-hmm. give space and mm-hmm. and those you know I don't get mad because that we're human um you get comfortable in being in a space where you're <laughs> you're winning um you're good at something and you think you learn how to navigate life and then oh I have to change I have to make space I have to hear theologies that are new to me that may sound unorthodox, I have to stretch, right? And so change. Uh, Yes, Ed? Well, I think part of that change for at least me, and I think for a lot of people, uh, we live in a very anger phobic society. So people bottle it up until they explode. (laughs) And anger is the emotion we're given to protect ourselves when we're being assaulted, which is like everything else in God's universe, it's a normal, healthy emotion. The trick is to channel it appropriately. And when I realized I was gay in my mid-20s and all the kissing I missed for 10 years, <laughs> um, I basically decided to express that anger by being an activist. And um, and that's what I've done. And the other thing, since there's uh, two black women here, I'd already read everything Maya Angelou had written at that point, but I realized that as a gay man, a gay white man, that there was nothing in my culture of origin that could teach me how to be a despised me in the face of a much bigger them that Mm. don't even want to bother to deal with me. But if I assert myself, they're coming after me. And, um, and there were two groups of folks in my life, and that was black people and Jews, because mm-hmm. they have to deal with this all the time. And by the way, has anyone here seen the film Toni Morrison, Pieces I Am? Mm-hmm. I, you, yes, yeah. Well, I have it if we ever want to have a, a, a movie party over here. But <laughs> um, that film, that film, and then on a more comedic note, um, um, Good Fences with Danny Glover and Whoopi Goldberg, which I actually have put up on one of my YouTube channels, where basically this black family moves to Greenwich, Connecticut mm. <laughs> in the 70s. Mm. And oh. uh, because there's just all this stuff that I just eye roll sometimes, just like. And there's a line where Whoopi Goldberg, all the, the ladies of the neighborhood have come over because they're disturbed that. Ruth Chris, paid by um, Monique, is going to buy a second house on the block. And after they've all left, she screams out, save me from the crazy white people. Wow. <laughs> so, so I have I have the, so so Ed, when you get a chance, because I do have, you know, if you get a copy of, of this book, I know Hooks really touches on, um, you know, she is a black woman, 
but she really touches on the experience of marginalized groups. She does speak to the LGBTQ community and um, in a lot of her writings, uh, you know, there's so many of us, my friends will all talk about how Hooks helped us have a vocabulary, kind of the naming of things that happen when we're in public spaces and places that don't feel safe. Um, she's been, she's very good at that. She even has some, you know, on um, black female and academic um, that I use in my discussions on Paulie Murray. Um, you know, just I'm what it is. I'm on iBooks yes. right now. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, because that's very helpful um, to have someone like, you know, Hooks. I just feel that there's a, as I do with Pauly, there, uh, there's a part for everybody. Um, I put on this page here, this the slide, uh, the baptismal covenant. Um, I have this book on dignity, I can't think, by, by Dr. Beth Wright. Um, and she's going around the country doing talks on dignity and community. Mm -hmm. um, at Episcopal Diocese, um, and she she uses the baptismal covenant for this book, and I see the the last few questions. I mean, the whole covenant, but also these last questions about you know, will we seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we say, I will, with God's help, sure. when we do this. And we had quite a lot of baptisms, so we did this a lot <laughs> this summer, right? Um, Kate, Kate, you really feel it more than we do. You did. You had about four at one time. I know I was there. Yeah. It was so much fun. There's nothing more fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. I like the wildness of it. Yeah. And it was, it was such a diverse age wise. It was really diverse that day. And it was, it was just so lovely. Like I look forward to saying this covenant again. When we have a, whenever we say, Oh, we have a baptism. I just look forward to saying this again. October 15th and November 5th. Oh. Yay. November 5th <laughs> we get to say him again. Birthday. <laughs> and then this, this other question, the last one, will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And we say that mm -hmm. and, it really means so much. And I see the connection in what Hooks is, is saying here mm -hmm. that sometimes, uh, you know, that means change. That means um, listening to people, listening from their perspective. And sometimes it's, little, it's a little uncomfortable to think that we have to, you know, this is, this is God's table. It's not our table. You know, it is our table through him, but it's not where I'm dominating the table and I say who comes and who can't be at the table and how the table is set. And the table's gotta be set uh, in so many ways because some some of us will prefer to stand, some of us prefer to kneel, some want to sit, some want to sit on the floor and use mm -hmm. their hands at the table and some want to use, you know, all kind of utensils and, and dress certain at the table. And that's exciting. That table, you know, I was trying to imagine what that table will look like, like kind of a roller coaster. You know, it's mm -hmm. because it's got a, it's for, it's room for everybody. And it's just imagining mm -hmm. what sports table really looks like. It's multi-layered, multi-dimensional mm -hmm. table. You know, I think I what you said about, about, what you're saying about room at the table, I mean, it's like, you know, the idea that there is abundance in God's world, there's abundance. Mm -hmm. And that chapter, was it chapter seven? It was about about greed greed i think you know, greed right it's about greed and you know there's the, the sense of greed and there's a fear 
you mentioned earlier about not having enough of that. Where's my place at the table if somebody else comes in? Is it going to be, you know, that, that fear? And then I think it goes along with greed. And I think our, our society today really like, 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 you know, you think about how the, the, the algorithms work on Facebook, it's, they work on fear and some of our, our mass media works on fear and how we, you know, and that how it really moves us away from love and a, a loving community and that we really have mm. to move away from that to develop a community of love and that we have to move beyond those fears that we may have and right. those sense of, of greed that what, what's mine, 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 my precious, you know, kind of idea. <laughs> right. that, uh, we have to my move precious. away from that and, you know, <laughs> and to move to something that is that really is joyful and, and provides us the inspiration to, to move forward and uh, as a community. Yeah. Well, our, our whole country has been hijacked by an epidemic of fear, which feeds the greed of the billionaire class because divide and conquer is the oldest management tool. That one goes back to Willie Lynch and before that. And so, yeah, I mean, you get everybody afraid and then you can do whatever you want to with them. And that's that's what we've got going on now. And it's uh, it's um, it's all kinds of emotions that I won't get into because we've got things <laughs> to cover. Wait, wait, but wait, I, I think that Bell Hooks wants us to develop, you know, that idea that, you know, how do we develop a, an ethic of love and how do we do that as a community? And how do we work hard to to make that preeminent in how we live our lives? Yeah, and it keeps us away. You know, the, like I said, that that inner authority that that just really helps. Uh, so that that just you just like that tree, you know, planted the Psalm one, that tree planted by the, the river and. When you have that said, we really have to get our uh, understanding of what we worry about and what we're afraid of really face that so that we can't be taken hook, line, and sinker by the fear tactics around us. Mm -hmm. right. uh, we're, you know, uh, polarized and we can really see clearly, right? Um, she says, awakening to love can happen only as we let go of our obsession with power and domination. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about that. Um, and I thought about knowledge. And I think I talked about that. You guys were there when we had a, a meeting at church. And I did a little talk about this book. And I talked about this knowledge being a part of love. And I was like, wow, knowledge is part of love. And um, you hear people say knowledge is power, uh, but we need to unpack our definitions of power and how power is used. If we live by a love ethic, then knowledge isn't just about power, but relationships. And um, I'm getting this from uh, Dr. Christina Cleveland, who, who has this wonderful insight that she's uh, just going through in her previous book called God is a Black Woman. And uh, she, <laughs> over the world, finding these Black Madonnas and getting oh, pictures. Yeah. <sighs> and just really unpacking, um, you know, her, her self-identity as a Black woman, looking at these images, and she calls it the white male sky god, and mm. just what <laughs> her identity-wise. Um, but but also being this, she's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person and being in academia for so long, she's unpacking what knowledge and power and domination domination has mm. meant for her, what's made her ill in the past few years. So she mm. says not 
coach, she talks about knowledge as being a quest for domination. And it has had a horrible impact on relationships between all living, living creatures. And this is because mm -hmm. there's a great misinterpretation, thus mm -hmm. misuse of power. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I reflect on this because we do have certain, you know, we have hierarchies and we do have power mm -hmm. and we all learn. Right. Mm -hmm. If I said we have authority, but um, we, we need to unpack that. We need to think about what that means. Uh, is it, you know, people, uh, you know, that defining power is just always having to dominate other people. And Hooks discussed that. We talked about that last week in the chapters mm -hmm. on children and, and, and relationships. And some people think they're in a relationship for love, but they're in it for power and mm -hmm. dom really dominate. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and, um you know we have to really reflect make sure that's what we're here for um do we want to be powerful like god do we want to be loving like god and i reflected mm -hmm. on this for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil and just thinking about knowing in the biblical sense and, you know, we, we know the St. James Version, too, about knowing is intimacy. To choose power over relationships brings about a split, a tearing of the family's quilt. Sin of the fall was caused by the act of othering. So I'm reading this book on othering as the original sin. I'm reading it. I'm, a, I'm starting it. And so I want to, you know, see what the author's trying to say to seek power for oneself means that someone or something will be other to cast aside mm -hmm. power mm -hmm. power's definition is defined as domination mm -hmm. um rather than empowered embodying the power um and then knowing as intimacy relationship and love versus knowing as a quest for domination and adam knew King James Version, Eve, his wife, and, con and she conceived and bore him and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And so there's, remember we used to hear new all the time. We were like, no, and he knew. I remember the King James Version was everywhere in my childhood. <laughs> it was like new. No. <laughs> That's what they were saying it. You see other versions now, they really unpack that and made love to Eve. Mm. So this thing mm -hmm. like that, this intimacy, and didn't say he overpowered her or he dominated her. Um, I'm glad that the for the for, you know interpretations didn't see it at this. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created human beings, he made them in the likeness of God. So thinking of how relationship as knowledge. Knowledge is relationship relating to the likeness of God, the image of God. We're still, that's one uh, doctrine in, in systematics and in systematic uh, theology <laughs> that still gets, it needs a little unpacking and it's still very difficult to, um, you can research it and you'll find, what does it mean to be in the image of God? You know, look at what theologians say about it. And so if you're really thinking of an inclusive, uh, diverse, you know, equal, uh, fair uh, 
definition and processing of the image of God, a likeness of God. I mean, it's still a work in process. There's a book by uh, Lucy Pipiot, and it's on the image of God. And she's really unpacking that as a very small book, um, but really unpacking what does that mean in a, in a diverse world, right? If all creatures mm. or all humanities uh, created in the likeness of God, um, you know, I always wrestle with this, those definitions that it means we can reason like God um, because, because of mis mental health, mental disabilities, just where people are, um, you know, that doesn't include them, so to speak. Some people don't, you know, will think that that doesn't include them. And, and so that's, that's one doctrine that's, uh, I love talking about, which will be at the forefront of my <laughs> dissertation. And I, you know, Bless sweat and tears with that one. Um, Ed, you have your <laughs> my dog's gotten quiet enough for a minute, so let's hope that stays. Um, what I've come to the belief strongly that um uh sorry, my okay, I just got some notice on here. Um that the likeness of God is about our internal structure, our need as social beings, our need for other people, our our need to be loved, our desire to be loved, which plugs right into the color purple, you know, where Suge says, you know, no, it, it just want to be loved, you know? And, and that's what I think that passage means when we talk about the likeness of God. It's that, that internal, very, the child in us that just wants to be loved. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Very good. Yeah. So being able to love, you know, what that likeness means and just but knowing, you know, here the the text, the biblical text talks about knowing like God and huh, it's kind of rough. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Hi. Melinda. Hi, Melinda. Hi. I. I. Remembered and I forgot and then I remembered. That's why I came in a little late. I mean, okay. kind of late. Uh, no, I'm thinking of this movie because I, I just came in in the middle of your discussion, obviously, about the movie The Shack with the God is the Black Woman. And I, you know, I'd totally forgotten that movie. But I, something you said probably was about God as a, as a woman or maybe as a Black woman. And I thought about that movie. Does that, can we bring that in here? Does that fit in? Well, yeah, <laughs> you brought it in, right? And, and which well, one of the- I, I mean, but is it, uh, I mean, does it fit into our discussion? I think it does. Yeah, because I brought up Christina Cleveland and she just wrote this memoir, kind of like a, you know, her her journey as a, a black woman, Christian, academic, um, you know, she was a professor at Duke University for several years. And so she comes up with this this book to kind of help her in her healing, where she, you know, reflects on her life and uh, her identity with the image of, of a white male sky god. Like she has this idea of a standard straight white aging white male as God. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of deals with this image and kind of looks at how was that damaging to her and and how you know and and where was it helpful and so she she takes a, a journey across the world all around the world 
looking for images of black Madonnas. Uh -huh. yeah. so that comes in is like, you kind of see this, this, you know, God could be anywhere. Um, you know, we, we had that sermon too, God showing, you know, uh, on a road walking down the street and you, you don't know it's God. And then all of a sudden God breaks bread and you go, Hey, that's God. And then leaves, you know, <laughs> you realize it was God, your heart was burning. So, uh, yeah, that's, I'm glad it reminded you of that. Yes, Ed. Yeah, I really haven't thought of it. I don't know how old that is. Maybe ten years. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe a little bit less. I guess. Yeah, less because it's uh, Octavia Spencer. Well, all this conversation has reminded me of my mother's next older sister, our favorite aunt Velma Georgia Yearwood who had probably a third grade education and spent all of her life in the hills of Northeast Georgia. But uh, I would visit, we would visit, it was all during the civil rights movement. In fact, I watched the March on Washington on her black and white silver tone television. Okay. In the four room tar paper house with a wood burning stove and a kitchen, the well in the backyard and the outhouse at the end of the garden path. And she always said, God is a black woman. <laughs> she used to say all the time, all these hard old men are going to be real surprised when judgment day arrives. And, uh, so, I, I, you know, our, our, baptismal, uh, our baptismal prayers don't talk about an educated heart, but an inquiring and discerning heart. And I don't, and in that sense, I also think a lot, we've been overly educated in many ways, and we've replaced science. We've replaced faith with science, and I think that's one of the reasons we have an epidemic of fear in this country right now. Yeah. Thank you both. <laughs> oh, I, I have to say this. I, I lived in a house just like the one you described in Swan, Iowa in 1947. I moved, we moved from LaGrange, Illinois to Swan, Iowa, and my parents thought it was a suburb. And they had a wood burning, no, they had a coal burning stove, they had a pump in the kitchen, and they had an outhouse. And they almost burned the house down. And my father's boss gave him a little dollhouse toilet for Christmas. And I, I was seven. I don't know how this ties in, but I, I really did live there for about nine months. Swan, Iowa has about 150 <laughs> people. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So now we got to talk about greed. I mean, we kind of are on there already. And I think Skip had the reference from, you know, Lord of the Rings, um, which my husband <laughs> unpacked like every week because we watch it all the time, right? We own the. Okay. He says once every six months, you know. And <laughs> True, I think so. And we unpack uh, the dynamics of greed and and what it what it does to people. And you know, look at all the characters there. And the main one, Spiegel Gollum, right? Who who's you know duality, right? Um, uh, he's split, and um, you know that kind of ha that'll happen, right? You he turns against himself in that scene, and in this you know what greed can do. And I think you said my precious. And the destroys everybody. <laughs> and so greed is considered a deadly sin because it erodes the moral values that increase 
to care for the common good. Greed violates the spirit of connectedness and community mm -hmm. natural to human human survival. And mm -hmm. had this woman, you know, about to bite into this golden apple. And boy, there's a lot of credit cards in that wallet. <laughs> wow. And uh, then they said, you know, and I don't know if you remember this, this Tower of Babel. And uh, this one always gets me. I have to go back and unpack it some more. But come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all, you know, over the face of the whole earth. And, you know, if you read the rest of that, you see what happens. They do get scattered um, because, well, they're trying to make a name. It's just for making a name for ourselves. Um, the tower is not like, you know, we talked about the table, you know, the common good. And, and they're speaking all one language. And that's where the scattering takes place. The biblical text writer, you know, is kind of, you know, my Old Testament professor said that this is how someone's explaining how we have all of these languages. And I'm unpacking that more and going, mm, there's some kind of a moral thing that's happening where they're not really thinking about the common good. And then there's also like, do they really believe they're the only people in the world? <laughs> so, you know, go back to Bishop Curry, where he says the opposite of love is self-centeredness, mm. you know, self-centeredness. And there's this making a name for ourselves. That's it. <laughs> That's why you want to build a tower. Um and thus the relationships and connectedness between people ended and they were scattered. And many scholars suggest this passage explains why there's so many different languages and cultures on earth. However, it also exhibits how the search for power, domination, influence can distort one's perspective. Mm. Back to Gollum, Spiegel, uh, even his voice. And we talked about that voice. That's just a chilling voice. You even hear it in the voice, the pain, and and the, you know, just, just a distorted perspective of others and of himself. Just you know. Oh, I thought it was my. Oh, yay! The Beatles. Now we can, you know, be happy. Okay. I'm so glad you didn't show a clip from from of um, Gollum. No picture. <laughs> yes, no, there's no film clips. Thank you. <laughs> it's too scary. Speaking of, you know, as Ed said, you know, images. Uh, yeah, that's an image. We watch Lord of the Rings all the time, but I just, you know, still cannot take in his image uh, because it, it's just so painful um, to see someone, you know, just drained of their hu their humanity or their themselves. So can't buy me love. Oh. Can't Buy Me Love, Can't Buy Me Love by the awesome foursome. <laughs> and I love, I love this painting. I told my husband, I said, wow, I've never seen this painting of them. And they all look just so super to me. Uh, you know, as someone who teaches songwriting, uh, there's not a day that goes by that I do not mention these four. <laughs> my students crazy. What's with the Beatles? Everything. Oh. <laughs> Everything, everything. There's a Beatles song for everybody. Um, you know, if Frank Sinatra covered your song, you're somebody. <laughs> That's what I have to say. Your song, if Frank Sinatra did your song, wow. Okay. 
So, you know, he loved Joe Beam and he loved McCartney and Lennon, McCartney and Lennon. And, uh, you know, can't buy me love. Uh, you know, when you have this in your head, boy, what a nice day it is. You have a Beatles tune in your head uh, like this one. And there's so many other, but can't buy me love, you know, and they just say, no, 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 no. Um, and he says, you know, I just love this. I don't care too much for money. Money mm -hmm. can't buy me love. Say the guys who, you know, have serious publishing residuals come in their way. Um, but what a, what a hit, right? What a hit. So this is an image, and I don't know, Ed, you're still here, but this is an image I love to take in as the Beatles. Um, just vibrant for together. Oh, the beloved community. Love in community reflection. And so I went to the Book of Common Prayer pages 854 and 855 and talking about the church and who we are as a church. And I have <laughs> my old one, my old, uh, my beautiful, I love the red book. It reminds <laughs> me of red doors, hmm. which I love so much. When I see the red doors, this is what I think of too. I don't know. Is that connected? <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask around because I always took the red doors to go, B BCP, you know, um, but the church asking, what is the church? And the church is the community of the new covenant. And uh, just get excited about that. Um, talked about the emerging church on Sunday and Jesus building that church and we being the body of Christ and our, our various gifts, serving one another, um, serving at the table serving with whatever gifts God has given us through the indwelling spirit at the table. Um, I'm using this image from uh, Bishop Curry's Becoming Beloved Community. This is a pen. Um, I've been trying to get my hands on more of these pens, um, but, you know, truth telling and, and repairing, uh, repairing the breach, practicing the way uh, and reconciliation being a part of this. And I love the, the labyrinth um image as well and so when you have a chance you know just to go back and look in the book of common prayer and look at what it means to be the church what is the church um and how do we look at the church community and the body oh i forgot i did all this animation stuff um and this is from the author of let your life's and you know on community and hooks uh has this in one as an opening in one of her chapters on and actually the last one on community which i'm gonna put my hands on the last one what we read on community and that's chapter eight and it's right at the opening community cannot take root in a divided life Long before community assumes external shape and form, it must be present as a seed in the undivided self. Only as we are in communion with ourselves can we find community with others. And I've got this clip for you. So I'm working on my lovely mouse getting out of the way 
so that I can move this. And so this this scene is from a show called Modern Love. It's on Prime. I don't know if you've seen it, but this is a, a lovely clip. Your supermarket boy? How's that going, by the oh, way? Oh, uh, that didn't take. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You really get through them, don't you? I guess it looks like that. Well, I guess you're only young once. I'm bipolar. Really? Yes. I have been since I was 15. How come you never told me? Well, <laughs> who wants to hire someone with a mental illness and entertainment law? Aren't we crazy enough? So why are you telling me now? Because you're more than work. And you should know what you're dealing with if we're gonna see each other outside of the office, which I would like. But I have incredibly low periods. So low that I can barely move. I am impossible to be around. I uh, can barely answer the phone. Phone. I'm totally unreliable as a friend. In fact, in some ways, I'm probably the worst friend you could ever have. Uh, don't check a single box. I have a meeting five minutes ago. Okay. Phyllis, hey, those guys from admin in my office, tell them we have to cancel today. I'll see them tomorrow. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell them I'm really sorry. You want to get lunch? Mm -hmm. Get a menu. So where are you right now, mood-wise? I'm coming off of a low tonight. It'll be pretty manic. You're the first person I've ever told about this. How does it feel telling me? Like an elephant's taken one of its feet off my chest. <laughs> I'm so glad you've told me. It explains so much. If anything, not knowing made it a little difficult to connect with you fully the way I would have wanted. So you want to get a drink sometime? You want to go to the movies? You want to see people? All of the above. You are the most fun I've ever been around. I'm not letting that go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's... So, 
I'm going to stop the share and talk about the last part before we go. Um, and so for the next, next week is our wrap up. So I'll be looking back and looking at loss and healing and um, listening when angels speak the chapter. So that's a 10, 11, 12, 13, the chapters there. Um, but uh, I see a hand up, but I wanted to show you that clip because that's the first uh, season and first episode of Modern Love, which is on Prime and it's featuring Anne Hathaway. And um, you see that she's been holding that secret in and it's really um, hurt relationships for her. Like she's basically gone off the grid. Um, and here's this brilliant woman in, in entertainment law, but uh, she's having a hard time, you know, due to stick, mental health stigma um, and self stigma uh, saying that. And so that's a big turning point in that, that episode. I see a hand up as we wrap it up, Ed. I just had to unmute. Um, well, you know, I'm the mental health guy here, MFT, et cetera. Um, that was a powerful clip. Thank you. Uh, there were two things about it that one angered me because I, I get people here who've been through other therapy and therapists and they can tell me what's wrong with them but they have never learned anything else in terms of learning to love themselves, learning to make peace with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then of course they're carrying all the shame of this label that someone with a bunch of letters after the name stamped on them. And um, I'm very grateful that the program I went through um, basically said the only thing that matters is the connection between two people. And I was not trained as the the expert professional because that never helps people. They were very clear. It, you work as a team. You're, um, there's no hierarchy. And I, I think my biggest issue with mental health as it exists today is that it's been co-opted by the pharmaceutical industry and the medical model and all these labels, and you have to take these pills in order to be a functional person, and the shame of all of that, and just, it's infuriating and maddening because everybody I see has spiritual conf conflicts about spirituality because they were usually religiously abused, and they just have, they just have the disease of fear. Fear that they're not going to be good enough. Fear that they're going to be, you know, not make be able to survive. I mean, on and fear that no one's going to love them. Just on and on and on. So uh, thank yeah. you for that clip. And thank you, even though this is my only time here so far. Wow. <laughs> I hope you all have had a, you know, um, a I want to say fun time, learning time, <laughs> loving time, uh, you know, all of all of that. Right. Because last week we were dealing with, you know, something that was really hard. When we go to childhood and love and children and abuse and and, you know, all of that. It was a little difficult. But now we're going to healing, which is going to be great in angels <laughs> um, and in dealing with loss and how, you know, grieving is a expression of love. 
Um, but thank you so much for this week too, showing up and, and feel free to show up next week. That's our wrap up. And I'd like to hear uh, what practices you'll be taking on as we go, right? We go and do it. Um, we practice love in our communities. We practice love in our professions, our vocations. Um, so thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bring a friend. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week.